there are girls just ripe for some kissing And I mean to kiss me a few Oh, those girls don't know what they're missing I've got a lot of living to do And there's wine all ready for tasting And there's Cadillacs all shiny and new Gotta move cause time is a-wasting There's such a lot of living to do There is music to play, places to go, people to see Everything for you and me Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, September 19th, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hello. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. And uh, castalbumreviews.com, uh, you ha- we're going to talk a little bit later this morning about some new, uh, was it vinyl that you got there? Well, it's new to me, but it's old. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. But I was wondering if, did you have a separate section on cast on reviews for vinyl? Do you denote that? Uh, no, only in the sense that if something is not on CD, sure. uh, we note it, of course, because this that was originally done when CDs were it. You know, there was no streaming. There were no MP3s. You know, <laughs> that's how old the project is. Um, so, yeah. If that answers your question. (laughs) No, absolutely. And later on, we're going to talk about some old new albums that Michael has in his collection. So uh, we should have... we, we should have had Dominic McHugh back on this week because uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked with Dominic about uh, Sondheim's younger years and Mary Poppins and uh, those type of things. But we had news this week that Mr. Sondheim uh, went on the Colbert Report. No, the uh, what's it called now? It's not Colbert Report. It's, only, it's, yeah. it's uh, Late Night. Is mm-hmm. it Late Night? I, I Rob Johnson, Rob Johnson, they, help me out here. What's, when they what's had him here? on, it was certainly late night. That, you know, I'll tell you the that. late show. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Paul Whitty gives me the late show, and Rob does too. The late show. So, Mister Sondheim was on the late show with Stephen Colbert, and he announced a new musical, which was sort of uh, spoiled the day before by uh, Nathan Lane on uh, NBC was uh, talking about the reopening of Broadway and said that he had been in a workshop with Bernadette Peters and Nathan Lane on a new Sondheim musical. So, Peter and Michael, what do we know about this? We don't know much because uh, Colbert didn't ask the right question. After he said, uh, are you working on a new musical? And Sondheim said, yes, uh, square one with David Ives. That was enough for him. He didn't say, oh, what's it about? Is it an original? Is it an adaptation? (laughs) What kind of interviewer is this? I mean, my God, I I wonder if it has to do with the fact that they really gave him the bum's rush in the sense that he was on very, very late and he was on for a very short period of time. And happily enough, 
part of the time was taken up by the fact they were showing the audience, giving him a standing ovation. I'd love to know who these people mm-hmm. are. Are these people who are simply people who are interested in Broadway, who heard the Sondheim was going to be on and made sure they were there? Or is this the general public, which is what I'd love to hear, that uh, it was really just uh, John Q. Public and Jane Q. Public who uh, still knew enough that Sondheim was um, the greatest ever and wanted to pay him uh, that respect? Well, not to be cynical, but it all could also just be that, I mean, they have people who create those standing ovations, don't they? Sure. Mm, yeah. Applause signs you know, and what have you. And not yeah. that he didn't deserve it. but No, no, know. no. I know that's not your implication. Yeah. Sure. No, of course. You know, but um, but really, uh, he segued from one subject to the other terribly quickly because he brought out the book uh, about Sunday in the Park and he talked about the West Side Story movie. And I'm sorry to say the Sondheim wasn't terribly interesting more than gushing about everything that uh, has been <laughs> happening. And it was then, then and suddenly it was over. I mean, I, I was really tired that night, but of course, I wasn't going to miss it. And uh, look what happened. Well, I sure wish that, yes, that uh, Colbert had probed a little more because there is currently incredible confusion over this, uh, what he did say about the new project, because um, people do not know if it is, in fact, this Bunwell musical Mm -hmm. he had been working on with David Ives, or apparently um, they had also at some point been working on Another project, which was an adaptation of a play that Ives had wrote, and I can't remember the title at the moment. Uh, but uh, and the reason that the confusion is so, so great is that Sondheim didn't specify, but also someone. It's it's really funny to to watch online people insisting that they know that it's one or the other and mm-hmm. providing evidence. And one person, um, <laughs> one person took a, a, you know a photo of a letter. That mm-hmm. he had gotten from, from, yeah, from Sondheim in July, I believe, right, which is right. oh, just mm-hmm. quite recently, mm-hmm. um, saying specifically that it was the Bunwell, right, or that they were back at work on the Bunwell, right. But then um, in the New York Times article on this, it specifically says that it is not the Bunwell, but another project that Ives and Sondheim had. Uh, pushed aside when they started working on the Bunwell. So I, I don't know where that leaves us. I wonder if Sondheim uh, purposely left it open because he wanted um, people to talk about it uh, and didn't yeah, want to. That's a possibility. Yeah. Good for you, Michael, for being nice about that. Uh, nicer than I was that that could be the, uh, you gave the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, hmm. But there I was buying those two Bunwell movies, you know, so that I could compare. <laughs> and there they are sitting unopened, you know, so. Uh, I have uh, a speculation that I just thought of just now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had, uh, before we started recording, we had said that uh, it was odd that uh, Sondheim was on, I was on second uh, as uh, oh, Colbert's yeah. guest. I and that it was, maybe he requested it. It was kind of disorganized, and that uh, yeah. Colbert didn't ask the right questions and things like this. So maybe, maybe Nathan Lane spilled the beans on NBC and wasn't supposed to, and they rushed to get Sondheim on. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's a good. Yeah, that's a good I, thought. I, it's total speculation. I of have no it idea. Is. Yeah, if, I know. If that's... We're all speculating. That's all we can do. Um, but uh, filling in the blanks isn't very easy under these circumstances. Still, that's as good a theory as any. In fact, I mean, finishing better. the hat is very difficult. Mm-hmm, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> Boy. 
<laughs> I, I could take you exactly when Mandy Patinkin was was uh, delivering that line because it made such an impression on me back in 1984. Tell um, me about it. Well, specifically, I, I really uh, because after he mewed, you know, uh, look, I made a hat. Um, and then when he realized where well, there never was a hat, I mean, whoa, I think that's one of the all time great lines. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, but it made such an impression on me after he put down what he was doing. Look, I made a hat. <laughs> where there never was a hat it suddenly hit him that um no this is an achievement you know it seems like nothing you know with the hat barry kleinbord wrote a very funny song um called i won't sing a song time song i don't know if you know it it's from a review called big city rhythm which did get a cd and he points out how many lyrics involving hats Sondheim has written. Um, look, you can say, hey, here's your hat. Does anyone wear a hat? You know, there are really quite a few of them. I mean, he really does. Um, he really does center on those more than you might think. And I, I really recommend this uh, album very um, highly. Uh, Big City Rhythm. Uh, Barry writes very, very funny songs. And one of them um, is also uh, called the ladies who can't sing uh, about uh, the people who show up in musicals who uh, who can't sing and he says they always give them the Tony Award um, <laughs> and uh, real real nightclub material uh, in the Julius Bunk tradition if that means anything to you uh, the Ben Bagley tradition if that means anything to you but um, but anyway um, I won't sing a song time song is worth hearing and um, I guess you know I, we we may very well have a chance to see um, a singer a new sometime song but who knows i mean do you remember when this public uh, show was announced for the public theater about two years ago um and they announced it and then quietly it, you never heard anything about it again. Right. you never heard that it was canceled i mean they just let it fade away they hoped we wouldn't remember and <laughs> um and that's what happened <laughs> just to make things more interesting uh, i i i found the title of the other project that they apparently oh, have been working on it's called short Th- well the play is yeah. called short thing and it, uh, short short thing is a short comic play by david ives featuring a chance meeting of two characters betty and bill whose conversation is continually reset by the use of a ringing bell starting over when one of them responds negatively to the other so one could understand how if that was in fact the project that we're talking about here how it would be titled square one i agree with that and um ironically enough that brings me to sanctuary city uh which is a play <laughs> i saw this um this uh, weekend and um uh, Martina Majok, if that's how it's pronounced, um, wrote a play uh, that does that at the very beginning. Um, suddenly people are talking, two characters are talking and uh, they've had some sort of relationship. It seems to be mostly a friendship. Of course, we're um, meant to guess exactly what's going on there, um, but it seems to be a friendship and not a romance. And yet we get, do get the impression that uh, the woman is more interested in a romance than the guy is. And, um, and I'm telling you that same type of thing happened. I don't think they use a bell. I think they just have blackouts and then they start again and they repeat dialogue. They repeated before and it drives you crazy. And then when that device is stopped mm. about mm, a fifth of the way in, maybe a fourth of the way in, and they suddenly get down to brass tacks and the lights don't go off and on and you simply see sustained scenes. It is terrific. And one of the reasons it's terrific is because the acting is so magnificent beyond belief. I mean, really, um, Charlene Cruz, what a performance as, as the young woman. I'm telling you, you must see this performance. She is uh, the sun and the moon. Um, 
Uh, Austin Smith is a man who comes in late uh, and makes the scene really crackle. Um, you may know him because he was in uh, the original cast of Hamilton. Um, tremendous performance, real uh, such strength in that performance. And um, the guy that um, uh, the woman is in love with um, is uh, just a Chase Owens, and he does a fine job. I do think that um, he comes out third, but that's only because the other two are so trans, so transcendent. So uh, credit, credit, credit to uh, Rebecca Frecknall, who uh, did the direction. Um, and I, I know we're getting off topic of Sondheim, but I just had to mention that when Michael mentioned the, uh, the concept of uh, the David Ives play. And, um, and I was very glad that this didn't continue the way it started. I thought it was going to drive me crazy because they repeat so much of the dialogue, uh, a number of the phrases. And I, I understand what they're doing is uh, it's a variation on a theme that indeed, you know, I, this is the way it went in this moment. When they tried it again, it went this way. When they tried it again, it went this way. Maybe if they did try it again, it would go that way. All that kind of stuff. You know, I got it and I thought, oh, my God, I heard we're going to be here for an hour and 45. And, you know, this is going to be very, very painful. But this playwright knows what she's doing. She knows when to make the turn. She knows when exactly to get down to the meat of the matter. And that meat is quite meaty. By the way, I looked it, I looked it up and uh, Martina is a Polish-born American. And if I can read phonetics correctly, <laughs> uh, James was right. We were talking earlier. It's, it's pronounced Mayok. Uh-huh. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I had to, I certainly had to look it up because I, I did not know. Great. I was in the process of looking it up. I'm glad you got to it first. Um, the uh, Sanctuary City is, uh, is playing down at Christopher Street at the Lortel, but it is a New York Theater Workshop production. And so, and Does anybody a, know why they're not using their own theater? I think the, you have something else in, the, in New York Theater Workshop right now. I think so this is just, essentially their second space. It's a traffic jam, I think. How wonderful. Yeah. And then uh, uh, over at the New York Theater Workshop, uh, James Nicola uh, stepping yeah. down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Boy, he's done of, great end, work. End huh? of a, quite an era. Oh, well, I'll say. My God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just even amazing. if it was just rent alone. I mean, right. Exactly. Know, yeah. It would, it would be magnificent. But boy, you know, others have moved too, and others have moved us. So, uh, yeah, you know, he can hold his head up high. No question. Yeah, so, except for that show about the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> what was that show? <laughs> I don't remember, but I certainly remember what you're talking about. <laughs> that show about the boxes made me angry. So, <laughs> so Michael, are, are, yes. are you sitting down? Are you leaning on something? Are you able to compose yourself? Uh, I think so. What What are you referring to? Because that 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 uh, the, the new trailer for the West Side Story movie came out, and I wondered if you saw it. Yes, I did. Yeah. And and uh, what's your take on it? I Just was the trailer. I was. I think it looks fabulous. I was concerned by the fact that none of the dialogue is from the original. Mm -hmm. uh, and not only that, but I, uh, this really, really made me worried. Uh, a lot of the lines, what few lines there are in this new trailer, are so on the nose. Uh, it's, it struck me as things that are sort of like subtext in the original are, are now spelled out uh, because they don't think that the audience can get it or, or also partly to respond to current, uh, you know, current 
perceptions. Like, for example, there's a, uh, Maria has a line where she says to Bernard is something like, uh, I can think for myself now and you don't have to tell me what to do or something like mm. that. And then uh, what was that line that Rita Moreno had to uh, Tony? Um, something like love always triumphs or love is <laughs> love isn't always enough or it just it just seemed very on the nose and purple and and mm -hmm. i i was a little upset by that mm -hmm. <laughs> i was um i thought it looked amazing the cinematography and mm -hmm. the dances look so tight and it's just really really interesting uh, but I, the dialogue, I was like, I've done yeah. West Side Story a number of times, and I'm like, I don't remember that dialogue. And, <laughs> and this goes back to something that uh, Sondheim said, um, uh, what, what little he said on Colbert about West Side Story is that uh, Tony Kushner uses the songs in, in different ways that are going to be very surprising to people. And uh, maybe the one example of that in the trailer was there was that moment of... Um, What's her name? Rachel Zegler? Zegler, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. As Maria singing uh, a little of Tonight a cappella mm -hmm. by herself on the fire escape, uh, yeah. at, which is not in the show. But I'm thinking, I'm betting that comes right before uh, Chino shows up and tells her about the, the murders. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm betting that's where that is. And I think that would be fine. Uh, so we'll see. So, uh, it, you know, it does uh, have uh, Tony Kushner's got his own credit on the screen as a screenplay writer, and uh, he's definitely oh, yes. ad adapted it yes. to how he wants. And so uh, I didn't realize that Kevin McCullum is an executive producer on it, uh, and Rita Moreno is an executive producer. Yeah, that I knew. That yeah. I, knew. I didn't know about Kevin. And I think um, it's, it's, it's neat that Riff is being played by Mike Feist, who created the role yeah. of uh, Connor in yeah. Dear Evan Hansen? So he's not—he's not in that movie, but he's—but he's in this this one. Well, we should talk about that. Uh, you saw the uh, Dear Evan Hansen at Ninety Second Street Y with a talk back with the cast. So tell us about that. Yeah, it was really. I was so glad that uh, that I got to see it. I'm not sure how far in advance it was set up because. Suddenly, I heard about it, and and then I was able to to get in to see it. Uh, it was a, a, the talk back afterwards was uh, with Ben Platt, who plays Evan Hansen, um, Amanda Stenberg, who plays Alana, and then also the director Stephen Chbosky and the writer Stephen Levinson, uh, who, who who wrote the show as well as the screenplay for the movie, and did a I think a really wonderful job of of adapting to the screen. I, I loved the movie. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, I really, really loved it overall. I think it's extremely unfortunate that it has become all about how, how old. old. Is. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, can you imagine if there was an internet in 1978? Uh, <laughs> you know, do you know how old Olivia Newton-John was? <laughs> <laughs> she was almost 30. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Stalker you know, Channing. Uh, Stalker and Channing, Stalker Channing was, was, I think, yeah. 32. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stalker Channing was no kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's funny because you know, I've never thought about it twice about the Grease thing until, you know, about 10 years or so, and somebody brought up the age of the characters in John Travolta and Olivia Newton John and Stalker Channing. And right. I was like, I totally bought it when I, I, I didn't really care. Yeah. Well, some people feel that it's okay if it's a if it's if it's a light comedy, but if it's uh, more of a, a drama and more uh, realistic, uh, in that sense, that, yeah, that it's gotcha. more of an issue. And I guess I can understand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, in fact, did he look too old to you? Um, the answer to that is in the first few shots, I thought he looked ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <clears throat> only, only in the first few shots, I thought that it seemed to me that in those shots that they had either Botoxed him or uh, done some kind of CGI and, mm-hmm. or, and or heavy makeup uh, because he looked very unnatural, but only then uh, after that, he, he looked very natural throughout the rest of it, whether, and, and I would say that his age um, seemed different to me, depending on, you know, from shot to shot, depending on the lighting and the distance and, and, and all of that. But it wouldn't have been something that I would even have occurred to me if uh, people hadn't made such a big deal about it. And um, was there anything that was dropped from the stage show that you missed? Uh, well, yeah, I don't uh, see. I'm in an interesting position because I saw the show twice, but I don't know it that well. Uh-huh. So uh, I wasn't one of those people who, you know, can can provide a, a checklist. Yeah. But fortunately, I went with someone who can. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, we had a lot of discussion. Um, uh, I'll, 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 I'll just talk briefly about it. Um, the, they cut the opening number from the show, mm. which is called Anybody Have a Map. And I think, um, I mean, as it is, the show starts with waving through a window, uh, you know, so we're, we immediately establish our relationship with Evan. And he's the whole story is seen very much through his eyes ra- rather than maybe a little more objectively like the show is. Mm-hmm. But Anybody Have a Map was good because it... Uh, provided us a chance to get to know not only him but his yeah. mother and also the the murphy family mm-hmm. uh connor's family a little bit uh so now all of that is gone and we start with waving through a window uh the other songs cut for the record are disappear uh to really? yes uh to break in a glove uh which was not one of my favorite songs yeah in the show, but it did provide, you know, certainly fleshed out the character of Connor's father. father yeah. uh, and now in, another interesting point of the, the, the movie is that they changed it. And, and now the character played by Danny F- F- Pino is not Connor's father, but his stepfather. Mm. Uh, and so that adds another another interesting layer to, well, you know, you know, that he was from a quote unquote broken home, this boy. And mm-hmm. maybe that was part of his issues uh, that caused him to kill himself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that that's a, that's an interesting change. And the other song that's cut is good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that there's a new song for Alana, I believe. Uh, All right. In fact, did Mr. Levinson address the issue of changing the father to the stepfather? Um, yes, he or the director said something that, uh, that when Danny Pino came in and, and auditioned, they they liked him so much that they really wanted to cast him. And really, he 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 basically said that they changed it just because 
they didn't think wow the tail wag the dog uh-huh. they wouldn't that he wouldn't you know he would be credible as somebody named murphy i see uh, uh and so they yeah so that's that was the reason that he he said that they did it <laughs> that may be but i like the change yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. and um there's another oh there other changes the character of jared um is very different in the uh in the show he was uh I guess you would describe him as kind of a nerdy, straight Jewish boy. But mm-hmm. in the movie, he's um, uh, he's not Caucasian, uh, and he is uh, he he sa- he says that he's gay. Uh, so mm-hmm. they 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 got to uh, check those boxes as well. But I have to say, it's a wonderful performance uh, by an actor named Nick N I K Dodani D O D A N I. And by the way, Jared's last name is now. Kalwani. So I guess that's, uh-huh. a, ch- yeah. that's a change as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and what else? Uh, Julianne Moore plays Evan's mom. And in the movie, she does not sing a note hmm. until the end. Mm-hmm. That that song she has with him at the end after yeah. everything goes south, and mm-hmm. it's that was interesting because I thought uh, we've discussed this before. It can be very effective in a musical where there's a character yeah. who doesn't sing until the end, right? Uh, and I and I thought that really uh, added a lot of weight when she did sing uh, because it was finally she was able to finally open up to. Um, to her son in the movie, it's it's very much stressed that she's kind of an absent mom just because she's working so hard. She's a single mom and she's working so hard that she's never home. Uh, so uh, the uh, whereas Amy Adams, who plays Connor's mom, uh, I would say it seemed like her role was larger to me than the than the role in the show and they all of those people are just really, really excellent in it. Um, one. Um, there were little, little changes in the plot. I think I had heard that I had gotten the impression that there were major changes. And I would say that's really not true. Uh, just maybe changes in emphasis. But there is one thing um, that I really, really loved. And I don't want to be too specific because it would be a spoiler. But after everything goes to hell at the end, after the lie is finally revealed, um, Evan takes it upon himself to to do some try to do some research on Connor and kind of get to know this kid that he didn't really didn't know at all. And uh, he comes up with something that I I, I won't Mm -hmm. say Um, he he comes up with something that uh, he is able to give as a gift to Connor's oh. family. Oh. And I just really, really loved that change. And and by the way, um, I, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but Connor is played by Colton Ryan, who I believe on Broadway was a uh, was a dear Evan was an Evan Hansen understudy or replacement. And then I also uh, had seen him in a couple of other things that he's He's really, really great, but also, interestingly, a very, very different type than uh, Mike Feist played in the show. I, I would say in the show, Connor was sort of a 
uh, almost a goth kind of a guy with a agree. Uh, yeah. with a you know with a sure. like one of those Columbine kids. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's uh, much less so in the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, I, I think maybe they thought that would make it look too dated and maybe a little too over the top. Uh, so that's another change that I like. I, I really loved the movie overall. I think it's, I think it's so well done, and I, I hope that this nonsense. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's valid to object to um, to Ben Platt's age if you really if you really feel that. But uh, but I think you have to take everything in context and and and, you know, and and figure out what what you get in terms of what you have to give up in terms of verisimilitude and 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 really do at least keep in mind all of these other previous examples, the original West Side Story, Greece, which we mentioned earlier, all of these all of these movies that are played by actors who are not remotely still teenagers. So uh, I have a, a few questions for you, Michael. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, Colton Ryan, he was, uh, he was in Dear Evan Hansen. He's also in Girl from the North Country. Um, and so I, I don't know if he's coming back to the when Girl from the North Country reopens on Broadway. Um, oh, right. Was he, was he was in it when when it closed due to the pandemic? It seemingly that's what IBDB says. So I didn't yeah. know if you knew anything about that. And uh, was he there at the talkback as well? No, no. It was only those people I mentioned and the moderator. Moderator. Uh, I also saw him in what was it called? Alice by Heart. That okay. musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's another factor at work here too, and the fact is, <clears throat> I'll just go back to 1963, uh, 64 season when Bert Law won the Tony for Foxy. We have no idea how good or bad he is. There's no record uh, label uh, that um, put it on um, except for a bootleg. But I mean, my point is that's gone forever. There are no people available today who can possibly see Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen unless they see the movie. This is a performance that a lot of people really, 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 really liked. Won a Tony, uh, got a lot of respect, uh, made him a star, et cetera, et cetera. This is their chance to see him. Right. Isn't it worth the mm-hmm. chance to see him, even if he's older? Let's see what he did with the part if he was so legendary in it, because you're not going to see it at the music box anymore. Exactly. So there's value in this, too. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Rob Johnson mentions in the uh, chat room that Colton Ryan's not coming back to Girl from the North Country. He's got a TV or movie thing. Oh, uh-huh. he can't. So, uh, well, you know, we'll see how Girl from the North Country does, but maybe that's a smart move by Colton. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Peter, yeah. you got a chance to see My Mother's Severed Head on Theater Row. Tell us about this. Well, I liked the set when I came in. I really thought it was a very nice set um, because it's not an expensive one. And uh, and yet it does its job very, very well. Uh, it also has a very specific play center stage where uh, an actress named Nana Ponce Leon, like Ponce de Leon, but with hmm. no D-E, uh, Ponce Leon, uh, is simply ahead during virtually the entire show. Uh, She's made up um, in a very fanciful fashion. And there is um, a mannequin uh, made to look like her as well. And they did a very good job of making the mannequin look exactly like um, Nana Poncelon's makeup job as she plays literally a severed head. And I guess one of the points of the play is the fact that uh, even if your mother is dead, um, you know, she's still there in one way or another as your mother or as your wife, because that comes up as well. And um, but for the most part, you only see her head. 
it almost brings up something I would give as a trivia question. What two musicals in the 70s mm-hmm. uh, did this? And the answer is Via Galactic and Robert Bridegroom had people um, where you only saw the head. Um, <laughs> so uh, so it, it really struck me as one of those uh, kitchen sink plays. And I don't mean that in the sense of a domestic drama that takes place in the kitchen. I mean, everything but the kitchen sink is thrown into this play. Uh, it seems like the playwright was saying, wouldn't it be wild if, you know, and so uh, one uh, absurd thing happens after the other without, I think, really a nod to the theater of the absurd. I think there's just a playwright who wanted to just throw it against the wall and see what's stuck. However, there's another woman in the cast named Caitlin Sparks, who is quite a talent. And I really believe we're going to hear from her more and more and more. And I hope we do because she's she's fetching. She's lovely. She's charming. She did what she could with this uh, dialogue that ain't so hot. And um, I'll tell you, the two women in this play really stand out very, 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 very well. So uh, the um, my mother's severed head at Theater Row is got um, prominently displayed, uh, presented by Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah, did, yeah, did, yeah. Did Bruce come out and greet you in a curtain no, warming speech? No, no, not at all. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, that's when my girlfriend said, oh, let's uh, Bruce Willis. My, you know, I mean, uh, uh, gee, if he endorses this, maybe it's good. I have no idea why uh, he would get involved with this. I don't know if uh, the playwright's a best friend uh, from childhood or what. But um, but yes, they are promoting Bruce Willis's name and who can blame them? As Jack Nicholson says in that movie, you use what you got. So um, so they got him. So, um, but uh, I, I, I found Charles Sissel's play not so hot. All right. So, uh, Peter, you also got over to the, the, the Atlantic Theater to see the last of the love letters. Uh, so tell us about this. Well, you know, I, uh, this is by Negosi Anyanwu. And it, the thing is that so many times... Well, as my former mother-in-law used to say, let's put it this way. Um, <laughs> there are three sides to every relationship, his side, her side, and the real truth. And, um, and so at the beginning of the show, when a young woman is complaining about this guy that she's been seeing, um, and uh, her name is Teddy Pendergrass, the actress, uh, we don't really get the name of uh, the character. Uh, much of the way we don't in uh, Sanctuary City either, which is kind of interesting. The people are using initials or descriptions um, more now. Um, but anyway, she's she's bitching and moaning about uh, this guy who did her wrong and so on and so forth. And you, you take it with a shake of full of salt. You say, well, you know, as I say, there are different sides to every story. You know, let's let's hear his side of the story. Well, we do. <laughs> do we ever? And frankly, um, it seemed after we see what he's like that um, she gave him a break. Um, <laughs> she could have been much more severe about uh, about what um, he was like. Um, Daniel J. Watts is astonishing at playing this part because he has to jump around all over the place. He's he's committed in uh, in some sort of situation. Is it a jail? Is it an asylum? Um, it seems to be an asylum because every now and then um, Xavier Scott Evans will come in and give him a little medication um, and not there's no tender loving care. There's just medication, uh, which doesn't do its job as much as we'd like it to, I don't think. But uh, but anyway, uh, Laban Engel always used to say that um, you always get uh, more interested in the first character you meet. 
You just do. And um, he used to use an image of a, a, a he's, he was on a beach once and he saw a pelican fly and zoom into the ocean and come up with a fish in its beak. And he said, ah, oh, that's terrific. He said, yeah, but what about the fish? If I was snorkeling <laughs> and I saw the fish first and I was looking at the fish and suddenly the pelican took it out of the water. Um, my God, I'd be furious with the pelican, you know, so the, the first person you meet is always the one that you're more interested in. And but to find out that um, for all the bitching and moaning and for all the time to think, oh, come on, he couldn't have been that bad. Yeah. Yeah, he was. So uh, uh, Love Letters um, has a lot to do uh, with the fact that there's plenty of paper on the, the stage uh, because he does a lot of writing. And uh, sometimes we know what's on that paper and sometimes we don't. And uh, I have a feeling some of those love letters ain't so lovely. <laughs> I saw it as well last night. Uh, and it, uh, I thought it's very interesting the um, the way in which they pose this as uh, her being almost institutionalized at, because her very last time we see her, she's locked in the apartment that yeah, we think that's is the a good point. Yeah, think, we mm-hmm. think is the apartment. So is she institutionalized as well? Yeah, yeah. and I, and <laughs> and I kept on going back and forth. Well, is this? his side of the story and her side of the story or these two separate stories <laughs> that could be that are uh, I, I won't i won't disagree with that <laughs> and uh I, I i i was i was just uh uh, uh like the performances are just unbelievably yeah, moving and yeah, they uh, are good. Mm-hmm. and really really um mm-hmm. uh, a, a must see if you can get to it it is a uh, only limited run uh, playing, I guess, through the 26th of September. Um, but I- I'm interested to see if this moves because it's a three-person show. It's it's pretty straightforward and easy. I didn't quite get the, the militaristic um, third character, uh, Xavier Scott Evans, mm-hmm. um, and, and, the, and the way in which he... Uh, what, what were they? What do you think they were trying to say with his character wearing that sort of paramilitary uniform, but being, you know, sort of a, uh, a you know, a physician's aide or something like that, or orderly that would be giving out medications? I, I think the point of it was that in these institutions, people are not there to rehabilitate you, but to just keep you in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and um, there's far less, uh, oh, let us help rather than uh, let us just keep you quiet, keep them busy, keep them quiet, leave us alone. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want any trouble here. And I think that's what that means. Uh, and then uh, her her note in the program that was talking about the death of art, I didn't know if this was a metaphor uh, or if it was unrelated to... Uh, what was happening on stage. So uh, I'm interested to hear what other people are going to say about this, uh, this production. I'm also, I think that it's the type of thing that can move to another off-Broadway house. I don't think it's quite a Broadway show, not no. because it's not good enough, but I don't think it, I think you put it on a 500 to a thousand seats, uh, thousand seat stage <laughs> and uh, it, it would lose its intimacy there. Mm, well, like Passover, really. Yeah, mm, exactly. Passover is a small play. Mm. Mm. All right. So, uh, Peter, next we want to do uh, Yeah, But Not Right Now. 
uh, which you saw down at the Soho Playhouse. So tell us about this. Yeah, a new one-man musical, it's called. Um, um, and frankly, if you go, you'll also see a, a warm-up act. Um, they do have that. So he's only on for an hour. He talks about that uh, specifically. That comes up a lot. He's A.J. Holmes. He does say at one point that his name is Broadway A.J. Holmes, that he actually took Broadway. Uh, he went to um, get his name changed, so his real name is Broadway A.J. Holmes. I'm not sure if he's kidding, though I did hear once that there was a guy named Michael Merman who did change (laughs) his last name to Merman because of Ethel Merman. Um, I didn't know him, but I knew somebody who did. So so maybe A.J. Holmes is Broadway. Um, His claim to fame is that he was in the Book of Mormon um, in London and uh, did a little of it here, though. uh, When he says I was in the Book of Mormon, you hear a voiceover saying "Uh, you were an understudy. You know, and he says, yeah, but I went on a lot. And um, I'll tell you, if he was in the Book of Mormon, he certainly didn't have the facial hair he has now. Um, He's got um, quite a scruffy look about him. He doesn't look like Elder Cunningham, whom he played uh, in the show. Um, The greatest smile in the history of mankind. I'm telling you, uh, he is so endearing with that smile and uh, very, very talented. He wrote the songs. Um, you know me and rhyme, but um, aside from that, the ideas behind the songs and the lyrics of uh, the jokes in the songs are very, very solid. Um, he's an expert musician. Uh, he plays the uh, the keyboard. He plays the guitar. He plays a steel drum. Um, he does a lot of uh, musicianship while he's up there and uh, does some electronic wizardry as well. Uh, I, I will say that when we came out last night, Linda said to me, uh, this guy's really crazy. He's really neurotic. Oh, my God. I, I would hate to be his girlfriend. A lot of it has to do with his girlfriend. And um, and yes, I suppose that's true. Um, but uh, I found him really endearing and um, I was very glad I went. And uh, so while you may feel, as Linda did, that he's pretty egomaniacal, um, I, I, I went along for the ride. So, um, I enjoyed, yeah, but not right now. So, uh, I'm trying to find information on this. Uh, it's, it's far and few between, uh, it's it running till like October 17th. I can tell you that you can, because I'm looking at this and it, the Soho website, Soho uh-huh. Playhouse website's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, okay, so October 17th at the Soho Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, I'll have a link to the Soho Playhouse website, but good luck there. I should also say the audience was quite plentiful and uh, uh, loved him. Loved him, adored him, um, hung on his every word. And um, and there's a bit of audience interaction where he talks to people, and they were just too happy to um, um, engage in conversation with him. So uh, he either has a real fan base or they just he just won them over last night. I can understand either situation. Uh, do you know, it? I, I think from what I'm looking at, it only plays Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Yeah, um, there's a scattered schedule. He even at the at the uh, end of the show mentioned uh, the Book of Moron, which we talked about before. Ah, uh, yeah. Saying you know um, tomorrow night it'll be here and you know that type of thing. So um, I do think that uh, it's going to be pretty scattered. And the way a lot of things at the um, uh, the theater center, the old Snapple Center too, is mm-hmm. doing a lot of things. Um, there's a new play coming in by John Anastasi, directed by Peter Lowy. Um, called Chasing Jack, which is only going to play like five o'clock on Saturday and three o'clock, you know, that type of thing, like three mm-hmm. performances a week. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of that. And um, and until things really, really, really get going and people really feel secure, but maybe a few performances a week for certain shows is the way to go. 
Yeah, we had uh, news this week that the uh, Hamilton tour um, out on the road, I, I forget where they were. Uh, I do too. They're uh, maybe out in California, but they had uh, a positive test for COVID and they had to shut down for a few days. Uh, and I wonder if this is going to happen uh, on the uh, on the Broadway side as well. You know, we have to. We're still learning here, and oh, so uh, you know, we have to check your tickets before you uh, head down to the, check the uh, websites before you head down to the theater. Check social media. Hopefully, uh, they'll be communicating a lot. Paul Witte uh, mentions that it was Atlanta, not California. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate uh, that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of Hamilton tours out there. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> excellent. Uh, so, Michael, we mentioned mm. at the top of the show, you uh, picked up some vinyl of uh, previously recorded albums. Uh, tell us about these. <laughs> well, I had, um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I really only started collecting vinyl again about a year and a half ago after the, you know, the pandemic hit. Uh, and I, ha I had known of three places uh, until recently. One is Academy Records uh, on 18th Street in Chelsea, which is a great place uh, and which I had known about previously. Another is a place called Book Off on 45th Street uh, between 5th and 6th. Uh, and they have lots of secondhand books, CDs, LPs, uh, everything like that. And I, I highly recommend that place. Uh, then there was a new place that I had found out about new to me called West Sider Records, which I believe Peter is familiar with on mm -hmm. West 72nd Street. Mm -hmm. And that's a great place. But then while I was there one day, uh, one of the other customers mentioned to me a place called Generation Records on Thompson Street. Um, in the village, right, right by NYU. And uh, I said, oh, I think I had heard about them, but I, for some reason I thought maybe it was only rock, you know, old mm -hmm. rock albums. Yeah. And he said, no, he said, if you go in the basement. <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> they have a whole uh, yes. room, you know, that, that has um, cast albums and some classical and, and other types of, uh, uh, but the main feature of that floor is, um, that they have uh, thousands of records that they're selling for 25 cents each. Wow. And they're mostly not, uh, the, the cast albums are a little more expensive and they're in a separate area. And by the way, I picked up on vinyl, the original London cast of Where's Charlie there, mm -hmm. uh, which I had never had um, the original pressing up. So that was, mm -hmm. that was great. And of course, that's the only cast album of that show to yeah. date. Um, uh, but they have this, these 25 cent <laughs> bins of hundreds, hundreds, thousands of records, uh, uh, mostly uh, pop, you know, what would have been called pop in the in the 50s, 60s mm -hmm. and 70s. Mm -hmm. And so I picked up a couple of things um, that are really great. One is Gordon McRae, Only Love and other songs from the new Broadway shows. So you can date the album by the, the shows sure. that are on it. Uh, he, uh, he sings, all right, okay, from Zorba, he sings Only Love and... Yeah. Oh, do you have this album? No, no, but I know Only Love comes oh, from Zorba. Okay, that song, and, yeah. and I just said the title, yeah. Uh, and he recorded yeah. for Capital too, so was, which did the album to Zorba, so I can understand why that uh, happened. Exactly. Uh, he also sings from Zorba, Why Can't I Speak? Mm -hmm. uh, then he sings from Dear World, which was not a Capitol album. No, no. Um, he sings the title song and Kiss Her Now mm. and 
and she was beautiful. Mm. Uh, then from Promises, Promises, also not capital, mm-hmm. uh, knowing mm-hmm. when to leave and whoever you are, I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Maggie Flynn. <laughs> also not capital. <laughs> right. <laughs> what does she think and why can't I walk away? Uh, and then are you ready for the last two? Sure. It's incredible. I mean, the only hit on this album is really Promises, Promises, mm-hmm. and maybe Zorba. Um, he sings In Vino Veritas from her, her first, first Roman. Roman. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and are, you, are you ready? Yeah. Did I ever really live from oh, the from fig, the fig leaves, leaves of falling? falling. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. None of those <laughs> others were capital <laughs> because uh, her first drummer was going to be Atlantic and uh, right. Fig Leaves was going to be RCA. So, uh, but notice the title of the album is a capital uh, reference. So, uh, right. um, so uh, it could have been anything, but wow. Um, I can't imagine uh, Gordon McRae singing, knowing when to leave, uh, but uh, obviously he did. So, yes. And it's funny you mentioned that because it's not good. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> but yeah. some of the other stuff is just beautiful. I mean, the more ballady stuff, of course, he 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 still had his voice uh, in the mid to late sixties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, the other uh, the other album I got, I can I can uh, actually turn this into a little trivia thing for for Peter, but I'm, I'm sure he'll get them all. Uh, Jack Jones, Curtain Time. Uh-huh. And most of these songs are, are from shows so popular that I don't even have to name them. Sure. Uh, people will say we're in love. Yeah. Luck Be a Lady. Uh-huh. Uh, Embraceable You. I Love Paris. I've Grown uh-huh. Accustomed to Her Face. People Shall We Dance. Uh-huh. And a lot of Living to Do, which uh-huh. uh, we're using as the opening uh, music for this podcast. Uh-huh. But how about these others? What, what shows are these from? Uh, Every Time We Say Goodbye. Oh, that was from the Seven Lively Arts, a cold yes. quarter show. Okay. Uh, and then a, a song that everyone knows, but few people know the title of the show it's from. It Never Entered My Mind. Higher and Higher, I think. Yes, Rogers and Hart. Okay. Yeah. And then he, here's us. I had never, ever heard of this song before. I See Your Face Before Me. Uh, that's a Dietrich Schwartz song, isn't it? Yes. Is it from Revenge with Music? It was introduced by... Evelyn Leigh and Adele Dixon in the 1937 Broadway musical Between the Devil. Devil, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard of it. But um, <clears throat> yep, a little before my theater going time. So just a little. Do you guys know this uh, website called Discogs? D-I-S-C-O-G-S? Yes. Very helpful. Uh, this, Very is where helpful. I'm fi- this is where I'm finding all this stuff for the show notes. It's really interesting. I don't think I've oh, known yeah. this site before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so we'll have those in the show notes. It's, this is great. Sure, sure. So those are the albums I, those are two of the albums I picked up. Excellent. We are just uh, a week away from what will be some version of a Tony Awards next yeah. Sunday. Yeah. And it seems to be just no interest in it. I mean, yeah. we, I wonder how this is going to go over. Um yeah. And, and, and there's the know, one two punch of the fact that a lot of people aren't interested in it because of the the way they bungled it. Uh, but then also now we're told that um, the bulk of this show will not be on CBS. Right. And and not only that. Yeah, it, 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 it's on a it's it's on something that's not accessible to everyone. Yeah, so I, I very interested to see what happens next Sunday evening. Uh, 
they're going to announce some major awards and have more or less a uh, rah-rah party for Broadway but I, I don't feel like they're promoting it well. I don't feel like it's accessible to everybody. And then they announced this week that uh, they have a handful of uh, rear balcony tickets available for $1,500 a seat. Uh, be uh, fair, James. It's fourteen ninety five. Be fair. But you have a Ticketmaster <laughs> fee that brings it up to 1511 ah, okay. Excuse me. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, you know, in the musical Nick and Nora, uh, Christine Baranski uh, had a line about the fact that she had won an Oscar. Somebody congratulates her and she says, it's a supporting Oscar. No true um, Oscar is a supporting Oscar. You have to win the real thing. Um, to me, um, if you have five dominees for music in the show and not one of them is a musical, <laughs> I, 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 I just have no uh, confidence in these Tonys whatsoever. Um, I think we've been about to eliminate the category. Nobody would have been confused if the categories were eliminated this very strange season with all the musicals ready to open in April and all that goes with that. Oh, speaking of that, does anybody know, is Mrs. Doubtfire now called Doubtfire. Is that uh, official? It's, it's back and forth. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think officially the name is Doubtfire because that's what's in the press releases. But uh-huh. I, it, you know, it's like the Hayes Helen Hayes type of thing that's uh-huh. happening there. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on there. Yes. Uh-huh. Paul Witty just yeah. gets the award for the year. He said, "Too bad the prices aren't fourteen ninety one." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> a throwback to our discussion. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so very good, Paul. So uh, I guess next week we'll uh, we we'll, will f- we'll find out what's going to happen there. Uh, Michael, uh, briefly, we um, they uh, the, the Broadway League threw a, a party this weekend uh, called. Um, What's it called? Curtain Up. Curtain Up. I was uh, Curtain Up Broadway for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, some all these events in Times Square, in and around, and you got to see one of them. Yeah, well, I got to see just the opening ceremonies, which were uh, hosted by two of my favorites, Michael Yuri and Norm Lewis, and they're just so charming. It was mm-hmm. so great to see them. Uh, then one of the speakers was one was one of my least favorites, Charlotte St. Martin, the uh, president of the league. Uh, but Chuck Schumer also was there and he got a really great response from the crowd um, because he, uh, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, was instrumental in, in getting, what would you call it, crisis funding, uh, you know, for the arts d- during the pandemic. And I think people were really, really grateful to him uh, for that. But there were also... Um, uh, as part of these opening ceremonies, there were a few performances. Jessica Vosk, uh, who I think this is the first time I've ever heard her sing live, and she is really fantastic. Uh, so fantastic that I even enjoyed her, even though she sang one of my least favorite songs, <laughs> Gimme Gimme from Thoroughly Modern Millie. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, if uh, you're listening to this, you've missed it already, but it was uh, a nice attempt for uh, the league to kind of bring Broadway back uh, as they're sort of calling this the official kickoff of the Broadway thing, even though we had uh, Passover and uh, Bruce Springsteen already playing. This is uh, the fall kickoff, and it is a beautiful fall day here in New York on a Sunday morning. And also, uh, yeah, I, I, I was about to mention, also uh, performed 
in in the opening was Brian Stokes Mitchell, who got a, a tremendous response because he uh, he famously uh, was singing to people from his balcony or his whatever fire yeah. escape yeah. Uh, during during the early days of the pandemic, and that got a that got a lot of a lot of response. And John McDaniel, by the way, um, played for these folks, and uh, he's one of my favorite music guys and i it was i really loved seeing him there so it was wonderful yeah, to be great guy. Great in guy. times square for for that and they did have as, as james mentioned they had events and performances all all weekend and it does continue through today but but as um james said if, you, if you're hearing this it won't, it won't be till late afternoon so i guess you will have missed it all right, so that sort of wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get to us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to your finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact for information for Peter, for Michael, and me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, uh, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. We have the uh, trailer for West Side Story, uh, the Colbert report, uh, the Colbert <laughs> late show, um, the uh, information, the Times articles, uh, tons of really interesting things that we've talked about today are in there. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? A very famous musical has three songs, each of which mentions the name of a different nationality. I mean, song titles like Arabian Nights from Aladdin, An Irish Girl from Irene, and Japanese Sandman from Day in Hollywood, that type of thing. But I'm talking about one show that has three songs, each of which mentions a nationality. But when the film version was made, all three songs were dropped. And I'm talking about Bye Bye Birdie, which has an English teacher, healthy, normal American boy and Spanish Rose. J. Aubrey Jones was the first to get it, followed by Brigadoo, Josh Israel, Ingrid Gammerman, Tony Janicki, who also pointed out that the 1942 review, This is the Army, had that Russian winter, American Eagle and my British buddy. And those uh, weren't in the movies. So he gets credit <laughs> for that, too. This week's question he appeared on two original cast albums on which a yawn is heard. The first yawn wasn't done by him, but by the star of the show who was making her illustrious Broadway debut. But yes, on the other album, he was the one to yawn during his one only solo in the show. Who's he? Who are the two musicals? And while you're at it, tell me who the earlier yawner was too. Hmm. Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have this week in the musical moment? Well, it's a song from an, another album that I recently acquired, Marlo Thomas and Friends, Free to Be You and Me. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was a TV special and album in 1972. And one of the interesting things about it is that the cast of the TV show is not always the same as the cast on the album. For example, uh, there's a song called When We Grow Up. And on the album, it's sung by Diana Ross. But in the TV show, it is Roberta Flack and Michael Jackson. So I don't know. It was probably all about contracts or something like that. But uh, there's some really interesting differences in the cast of the two. Um, This is a wonderful 
show and album that was all about it was an early attempt to um get away from uh, uh making children think that they have very sharply defined gender roles uh you know that boys act in a certain way or, or dress in a certain way and and girls act and dress and and etc in another way and it, uh, it's the first um famous example of that that i know of i mean there, mm-hmm. there may have been previous ones mm-hmm. but it really was uh very popular and 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 i think it won all kinds of awards and was very very well received and marlo thomas put it all together but there's incredible people involved in it um uh, uh some of the the songs are written by various people but there are three songs by our friend carol hall um, who wrote Best Little Whorehouse in Texas and Best Little Whorehouse Goes Public. Um, and those three songs are Parents Are People, It's All Right to Cry, which is performed by Rosie Greer, the uh, former mm-hmm. football, football mm-hmm. great. Um, mm-hmm. He does a wonderful job with it. And Glad to Have a Friend Like You. Uh, but then there's another... Uh, oh, by the way, let me let me just read some of the cast of, of of this album. Alan Alda, Harry Belafonte, Mel Brooks, Jack Cassidy, Dick Cavett, Carol Channing, Billy DeWolf, Rosie Greer, Shirley Jones, Bobby Morse, The New Seekers, remember them? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Diana Ross, Diana Sands, and Tom Smothers. So as I say, they 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 really got great people to be in this but there's a song called William's Doll that is so so sweet and I remembered it's funny I remembered that Mary Rogers was responsible for the music I had completely forgotten that the lyrics are by Sheldon Harnick Mm -hmm. and it is based on a book of the same title um, by someone named Charlotte Zolito and it's a wonderful little song about a boy who wants to have a doll to play mm-hmm. with a little mm-hmm. boy and his, you know, his father freaks out mm-hmm. um, and instead buys him all this sports equipment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, including uh, baseball bat and, <laughs> and glove and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so William, little William, uh, he, 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 he winds up being very good at baseball and he loves it. And he says, can I please have a doll now? (laughs) (laughs) And and the father is, you know, still freaking out. But then the grandmother comes one day and asks William what he likes to play. And he says, well, I really want a doll, but, but no one will, will give me Mm -hmm. a doll. And she goes to, the father and says, William wants a doll because he wants, he wants a doll to love in the same way that he'll love a baby, a real baby. when uh, he's a father, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a beautiful, sweet, adorable mm-hmm. song with great music and, and, and wonderful, wonderful lyrics. And that is our musical moment for today, uh, performed by Marlo Thomas and Alan Alda. All right, that wraps it up for today. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. When my friend William was five years old, he wanted a doll to hug and hold. A doll, said William, is what I need to wash and clean and dress and feed a doll to give a bottle to. And put to bed when day is through And any time my doll gets ill I'll take good care of it Said my friend Bill A doll, a doll, where do you
him wants a doll Don't be a sissy, said his best friend did Why should a boy wanna play with a doll? Dolls are for girls, said his cousin Fred Don't be a jerk, said his older brother I know what to do, said his father to his mother So his father bought him a basketball A badminton set, and that's not all a bag of marbles, a baseball glove, and all the things a boy would love. And Bill was good at every game, enjoyed them all, but all the same. When Billy's father praised his skill, Can I please have a doll now? said my friend Bill. A doll, a doll, William wants a doll. A doll, a doll, William wants a doll. Then William's grandma arrived one day And wanted to know what he liked to play And Bill said Baseball's my favorite game I like to play But all the same I'd give my bat and ball and glove To have a doll that I could love How very wise his grandma said Said Bill But everyone So William's grandma, as I've been told, bought William a doll to hug and hold. And William's father began to frown, but grandma smiled and calmed him down, explaining, William wants a doll, so when he has a baby someday. To dress it, put diapers on double, and gently caress it to bring up a bubble and care for his baby as every good father should learn to do. William has a doll, William has a doll, cause 